Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is the doctor. Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm Shannon Penrod and I'm here with the fabulous and wonderful Dr. Doreen Grandpichet for Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning. Good morning. How are you, Shannon? I am better because I'm here with you. Let's say that. <laughs> Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, and we love that even when she is out and about, uh, that she will make time when she can to be here with all of you. For those of you who don't know, Dr. Doreen Grampichet is an expert in the field of autism. I believe the preeminent expert in our time. And what other time is there? Uh, in the field of autism. She's been working in this field for 45 years. It's still going to take me a while to get used to saying that because um, she doesn't look like she could have been on the planet for 45 years. I know. But nonetheless, she's been working in this field for 45 years with all kinds of individuals on the spectrum from very young children up through senior citizens and most assuredly uh, you know, toddlers and uh, school-age children, teenagers and adults on the spectrum. So I, I also love, and I love to say this about her, she's, of all the people that I've met in the world, she is the very best at perspective taking, at putting herself in somebody else's shoes and thinking, what would this be like for them? And she does that on a regular basis. She does that for individuals who are on the spectrum, constantly thinking, okay, for this individual, what is it like for them? How can we make it fair? But she also extends that to the people who love that individual who are working with them or family members and trying to make their lives be as happy and productive as it can possibly be. So what a wonderful gift she is to all of us in the autism community. And thank goodness that she donates her time here to give all of you the opportunity to ask her questions. So that's what we're going to be doing for the next hour. You can be writing in right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, or about a dozen other sites, our fabulous Traven is going to start to show you some of the different ways that you can be watching the show, whether it's live or in podcast. And um, if you're watching live, you can be asking questions. Now, if you're watching and it's not live and you're like, well, I'd like to ask a question, but there's no way I can be there live. I got two things for you. First of all, you can email me. 
uh, and let me know the question that you want. We're going to show you that question in just a few minutes, or, or my email in just a few seconds. But for those of you listening, it's Shannon at autism-live.com. And you can send me your questions. But we'll get it up on the screen here in just a few minutes. Traven's busy showing you all the places to watch. I've, I've given him way too many things to do at the same time. Um, but the other thing that you can do if you're like, oh, man, I never get to watch this show live, we have something really amazing coming up for you. Starting on April 4th, we're going to kick off the Autism Network Podcastathon. And we are going to start, we're going to, it's a Tuesday, we're going to do an Ask Dr. Doreen in the morning, and then that afternoon at 3 p.m. Pacific time, we're going to go live, and we're going to stay live, fingers crossed, for 44 straight <laughs> hours, no interruptions, and during that time, you are going to get many hours with Dr. Grampy Shea that you should be able to get all your questions answered. She's going to do some shows that are very specific on specific topics, one on anxiety and one on potty training. She's going to do some shows where she's going to introduce you to some of the people that have been a huge influence in the time that she has spent in, in this field and interview them herself because I can't wait to see those. But then there are going to be several, several hours where it's pure Ask Dr. Doreen and you can be writing in your questions to any of those hours. So I'm really looking forward to that. It's all free for all of you. We are getting sponsors right now. If you know somebody who'd like to sponsor any of those hours, please put them in touch with me. By the way, I'm saying good morning to Andrea, Autism Journey with Elijah. We're so glad to see you. You made it today. Uh, and uh, we're saying hello. Uh, yes, because there's several questions from both Andrea and from Autism Journey with Elijah. So, um, but if you're also watching and you're like, you did not say my name, like Romper Room, that's because you haven't written into the chat yet. So please write in on whatever platform you're in. You might be on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Write in, and I can see it in real time and share that with Dr. Grampichet. So, Dr. Grampichet, would shall we kick it off with what the topic is, or is there anything that you would like to say before we start? Uh, yeah, no, we can go into the topic, but I see that Andrea has asked if you could increase your volume. Okay, we're going to send that message over to Traven, and I will speak louder. Uh, because I, heaven knows, I'm incredibly capable of that. Uh, is that better, Andrea? Um, yeah, let us know if that is if that is better for you. I also didn't give the disclaimer, which is that although Dr. Grampichet is the expert that I would trust with any question in the field of autism, there is no expert who can give individual specific advice in this particular format. So please send in your questions, be as specific as possible, including tell us like where geographically you are. You don't have to give us your address, but what major cities you're close to so that Dr. Grampichet will have an idea of what resources might be near you. And understand that she will be answering your question with the information that she has, which is not the same thing as if you have eyes on the situation. It will, however, help you to go back and ask more questions and ask questions of the expert who does have eyes on the situation. Hi, we're saying hello to Lou ZC. Um, okay, our topic though today um, is my child isn't making progress, what have I overlooked? Which I love talking about this topic with Dr. Grampy Shea because she is the master at this. The first question is, 
And, and then we're going to open it up to questions you guys are already sending in and questions that you're about to send in. But the first question is, my child is about to be five. We have been doing ABA for the last two years. We started during the shutdown with just parent training, but now he goes to the center three afternoons a week for two hours. He is on the gluten-free, milk-free diet. I feel like we're doing everything right, but he is still only saying about five words. We are still having lots of hitting and aggression towards his baby sister, and no one can get any rest. He is often up all night for days on end. What am I missing? Please help. And I'm sending this parent a hug right to start. But I'm so glad that they wrote in this question, Dr. Grampichet, because you could take the whole hour on this, could you not? Yeah, yeah, really could. And this is a topic that's very dear to my heart because um, it's all too common, the situation that, that parents... Um, feel like they're doing everything, but actually there are some really important aspects missing. So let's talk about that. I think in general, it's just important to remember that we're looking at um, trying to do everything to make the child healthy, first of all, from a medical, physical perspective. So that means the very, very first thing is sleep. And sleep is super, super important because the whole concept of ABA is about intensive teaching. And let's face it, if any of us don't get enough sleep, we are also not going to do very well learning. So um, I would really recommend that you talk with some specialists And this goes beyond your pediatrician. I think uh, for me, when I'm looking at underlying health issues that are out of the ordinary, I will not really go to my family physician or in this case, a pediatrician. I like to talk to functional medicine physicians because they are the ones that try to help you figure out what's causing the problem And then also we'll give you more natural supplements that will help uh, solve the problem. So the first thing is making sure that the child is receiving uh, any kind of intervention that they need for sleep. Now, when it is an issue with not sleeping, uh, you usually have various types of supplements that can help. Uh, forms of magnesium, melatonin, of course. There's uh, lots of different things that can help. But then also, sometimes our kids don't sleep just because uh, when they wake up in the middle of the night, they come over to us and they prefer to sleep in our bed and or they want a drink and something happens during the night that it becomes a kind of a conditioned behavior for them to wake up. So you need to make sure that you're also not just depending on supplementation or medication, but you're looking at all the possible things that could be uh, either waking your child up or keeping your child up. And, you know, our kids are very sensitive to sound, for instance. A lot of times I find that our kids are waking up in the middle of the night because that's when Let's say we have our sprinklers set to turn on or, you know, the dog next door or something is waking the child up. And then uh, the way that we interact with the child during the night maintains them, like keeps them waking up. 
So that becomes really important. You need to figure out uh, the sleep patterns because, you know, there's a big correlation with autism or autism-related behaviors and our neurotransmitters. And when you don't get enough sleep, you're just not uh, able to produce uh, sufficient amounts of the right neurotransmitters. So sleep is important. Secondly, any other type of health issue for a lot, uh, you know, I always repeat this now because I don't, I can never forget that I did an, uh, one time I did an evaluation for a family and the evaluation was, you know, almost two hours of me asking questions. And then at the very, very end of the parent, I said, is there anything else? And they said, oh yeah, by the way, he also has diarrhea about 10 times a day. He's always had it his whole life. The doctor told me that's part of the autism. It is not. It is not. Any kind of gastrointestinal issues, uh, any kind of uh, abdominal, uh, whether it's it's inflammation, uh, redox, uh, just irritation from various foods, all of those types of things need to be handled and dealt with because, again, these are things that are not only keeping the child uncomfortable but also possibly... Um, affecting the immune system, which is mostly in the GI tract. And then we have other problems if our immune systems are not working correctly. So health is very, very important. Along with health comes diet. And I know this parent wrote that they their child, I believe they said uh, casein and gluten, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, they said gluten and milk-free. Right. So the, the, the milk is essentially is casein, and that's important. It's the protein in milk and the protein in, in whole grains, which is gluten. And so those are two uh, things. And a lot, some of our, a lot of kids have uh, difficulty digesting those, those particular products, but they could also be reacting to corn, to soy, to food additives, to food coloring. I mean, there's a ton of stuff. So it would be very important, again, to identify a nutritionist or dietitian or, again, a functional medicine doctor who can help. And you can not just do uh, urine analysis and stool sample analysis, but also, uh, of course, there are blood tests. Nowadays, there's even uh, just... kits that you can get in the mail and you can put a portion of the stool in there and mail it back and they'll give you a huge array of all the foods that your child might be, we say allergic, but really basically they're having a hard time breaking those foods down. That's important for, for a lot of different reasons. And I'm happy to talk about that on a different show, but it really is very important to get the diet right. Then when you get the diet right and the health and the sleep and you are paying attention to the sensory issues with the child, that's also important because some of our kids learn visually, other kids learn auditorily. Not all of our kids have the ability to receive information with all of their senses. And also sometimes our kids have a very significant need Uh, to have certain types of sensory stimulation. And this is what we refer to as sensory dysregulation. Like they have certain needs and they have certain uh, resistances or things that bother them from sensory input. 
Um, so it becomes important to know your child. Like, what is their learning style? Do they learn better if they have a visual stimulus? Do they Are they sensitive to sounds that you want to make sure you keep away from them? That's important because a lot of the ABA then uh, is taught using those sensory modalities that works for your child. I might have an ABA program for one child, which is completely verbal in, uh, in instructions, and another child where all the instructions are visual. And that's important because if you don't recognize those differences, you're just making it harder for the child to learn. Now, when you have all that information, you want to do a good ABA program. And the biggest issue I see right now is the question that we had is that the child is only receiving six hours a week of ABA. And that's so important to discuss because, like I said, we often think six hours, that's got to be sufficient because I only do like maybe two hours of speech therapy or three hours of occupational therapy. But ABA is different. ABA has been proven to be very effective when it is intensive. And I know it's hard for us to imagine this, but when I say intensive, I'm talking about something like six hours a day of ABA. So the ideal amount of ABA varies per child, but we know that every additional hour will have an impact. So when a child is younger, we try to give them as much as we possibly can, often 40 hours a week of one-to-one ABA, um, where they're just soaking in this information and just absorbing it and learning. And as they get older and other obligations enter their lives, like education or school, whatever it might be, then we have no choice but to reduce the amount of ABA because they have all these other things they have to do. But again, the more ABA, the better. When you have a child who has aggression and they're only receiving six hours of ABA, what that means is that during that six hours, they're getting a set of rules and uh, people are managing them and interacting with them in a certain way. Then the rest of the time, they're, they're under a completely different set of rules. And this causes confusion And this causes the child to continue to aggress because uh, there's no one set of rules. So, for instance, if you're in an ABA session and there's aggression, everyone has figured out, hopefully you have a board-certified behavior analyst who's figured out what the function of the aggression is. Why is the child aggressing always Uh, These challenging behaviors are a form of communication. So the child is trying to say something. They're trying to either gain access to something or avoid something. And in ABA, we try to teach the child to use more adaptive, more functional ways of communicating rather than hitting or being aggressive. How often does that those same set of rules occur outside of the ABA? In other words, when the child's in school or with you or out and about, and they aggress, what happens? I, I am pretty sure that the way that things are managed are not identical to the way they're managed inside the ABA session. And honestly, that's part of the reason that we want to do intensive ABA is because when you do, you know, five, six hours of ABA a day, the child learns very, very, very quickly what the rules are. 
and how to communicate without using challenging behaviors. So, and of course, obviously every child will benefit from additional tutoring or learning new skills. So my biggest suggestion to this um, viewer is increase your ABA hours right away as much as you possibly can. Um, and that is probably the best thing you can do right now. Thank you so much for that thorough answer, Dr. Grampichet. I, uh, I just so appreciate getting to spend time with you because you speak sanity. And I love that. And, um, and a lot of people out there are speaking insanity. I had a, a parent recently, it broke my heart. She said to me, she wrote to me and said, I recently left my ABA provider and went to a different ABA provider. And I said, why? What kinds of things were you seeing? And she said, well, they were constantly pressuring me to do more hours because I was only doing 15 hours with my four-year-old and they, wa- yeah. they were constantly pushing for more hours and that she had read on some mom's group that that was because they just wanted more money. And she said, and I don't want to be pressured for something so that they can make more money. So she moved ABA providers. And I, I said, my gosh, I would have given you the exact opposite advice that if you're with an ABA provider who, you know, and you have less than 25 hours and your child is less than six and they're not pressuring you for more hours, then I'm, I'm seriously wondering what their motives are. Because it yeah. isn't about the money. It's about, it becomes, I think, and tell me if I'm wrong, that it, everything gets easier if you're doing more because the child learns faster, which means the team gets more excited. The child is less frustrated. Parents get on board because they see oh my gosh, this works. I want to do what you're doing at home and everything gets easier. But if we're doing too few hours, it's the, the child gets frustrated and why wouldn't they? And confused, as you said, confused. So thank you for speaking sanity, Dr. Grampichet. I I just want to make it so that everybody can hear your voice. Um, Okay. I I also, you know, I guess people don't realize that if if it was all about making money, there are thousands of children waiting on these wait lists. So this supervisor who is insisting you should do more hours could also do more hours with other kids, right? Yeah. So that's how that that's that argument is out. And and parents should also know that payers, insurance companies argue with our supervisors against giving a child more hours because from the payer's perspective, the less they pay, the better. So they actually don't want to give intensive hours. So kudos to whoever the supervisor is who's arguing with you and telling you you need more hours. They're simply only doing that for your child's benefit. It's not for their own benefit. The payer will be angry with them. It's harder to staff intensive hours. So they're doing it only for your child's benefit. So think of it like that person is Norma Ray. You want, like yeah, they're going yeah. to fight for your child. You want to you wanna keep them. Okay, um, Andrea's got a question for us. She says, actually, I have two questions. First, what is the average number of trial sets per hour for a three-and-a-half-year-old uh, who's been in uh, ABA full-time for six months. Second, if I switched my son's ABA clinic, how much of a setback can I expect, and do you advise against doing this? That's great. I love that question. Mm-hmm. The reason I love this question, Andrea, is that there. It's this 
so this is clearly coming from some some BCBAs um, will be talking about things like there should be X number of trial sets per hour. And that is not something that I support. Every child is different and every lesson is different. So for instance, if I'm teaching a child, some children, I, I wanna give you lots of different examples. Some children have what's called a slower response time. So they are responding, but they just need a little bit more time to think. And it's very important for the uh, providers, for the clinicians to, to know that, to learn that about the child, because what happens is I give an instruction. I have to be able to wait long enough for the child to respond. It can't be too long because then the child will either get distracted or act, do some sort of challenging behavior or they'll learn non-response. But it also can't be too short of a time because if it is too short, then I am never giving the child the chance to think and get a response across and then get their reward. So it's super important. I tend to be one of those people that wants our kids to answer fast, so I'm always trying to keep the pace fast. But when I observe children, I've learned, like I have a child right now that I observe the team and the team gives the child a lot more time and his success rate is higher just because they give him more time to process. So it is very important for your team to identify what's the processing time of the child. So that, and that obviously will alter the trial sets and trial sets are not important. Trial sets are like 10 trials per whatever. You, it, and, and here's the other thing I want to tell you about trial sets. If it's a very easy lesson, like for instance, matching of objects, which is like sorting, you will have many, many more trial sets than if it's a very difficult lesson, like an interverbal or you know something that involves a series of actions or a, or a series of, or a long response or some sort of social skill or conversational skill, or if you're in an NET type program. I mean, there's a million reasons why the number of trial sets per hour will vary. So if someone is telling you there's gotta be X number of trial sets per hour, you need to go back and say, well, what if it's an easy lesson or it's a harder lesson? What if the lesson requires more processing time versus less processing time? Um, and all of those types of things interact with the child's response level. So that hopefully will answer your first part. The second part is sometimes you just have to switch and you find that you're not getting along with whoever the people are at that particular clinic. Uh, sometimes you have great clinical staff, but not very good operational staff managing the clinical staff. Sometimes you have a, an organization where they have very high turnover, and so you never have the same team. There's reasons why it's better for your child if you move to another clinic. Um, no, it's not going to be a major regression. Yes, of course, our kids get attached sometimes to their therapists, but they will, they will move on if they have better therapists. Make sure that you are changing for the right reasons. Um, and, you know, Shannon and I can certainly talk 
more about what is a good ABA provider. Uh, but, you know, if you're doing it for the right reasons, don't worry. It's not a setback. Do it. Get your hours. Get it from good clinicians. And don't be worried about it. Amazing. I'm seeing a lot of things that people are writing in. We're going to get to as much of it as we can, you guys. But I'm loving the chat here. Um, I want to move to Lou ZC says, is it better to have your child with ASD and ABA therapy that is home-based or center-based? Which would be more effective? Great question, Lou ZC, because we actually did a study on this or several studies, and we found that children tend to learn more in the center. Now, the reason, and we, we didn't really analyze the reason, we just did comparisons. We did several comparisons. First, we did a comparison of children who were receiving therapy in the centers versus children who were receiving therapy in their homes. And we saw that the children in the centers were learning almost twice as fast. And then we decided, okay, well, these are different children. So why don't we look at children who are, can receive half of their therapy at home and half of it at the center and see which environment they're learning faster. And again, we discovered they learn a lot faster in the centers. And obviously, you know, it, it comes to mind, the logical reason for that is that perhaps there's too much distraction at home, you know, there's noises, there's not a quiet space, uh, parents might be coming in and out or other things, children, uh, siblings, etc. On the other hand, it's also possible that there are too many distractions at a center or you have therapists at the center who are, who are not doing their job. I mean, I hate to say it, sometimes I have seen therapists and instead of paying attention to the child and doing their job, they're you know on their phone or doing something else. So uh, a whichever location, as long as it is a, a environment that is good, so it's quiet, the child has all their stimuli, they have all their reinforcers, um, and you have a therapist who is actively engaged with the child doing what they're supposed to be doing, and if they have questions, they have access to someone. So a lot of times uh, the, a therapist might have questions and not have access to a supervisor. It doesn't matter. Even if they're in your home, they can always pick up the phone and call a supervisor. But as long as the environment is good, it doesn't really matter. Um, that being said, a lot of the research showed that they learn faster in the centers. And I believe that's just has to do with those factors, you know, distraction and, and all of that. Can I add two asterisks to that from my opinion? Because I, I love the center base. And when I saw those first studies that came back, I was like, oh, because I didn't have the option of center based. Right. But I think that one of the other benefits from the center based is that parents get a break. That you, you know, when you're home and your child is home, you're not getting a break. But when your child goes to the center, you also get a break. And I think that that can be really helpful. But here's my asterisk. If right. you take your child to the center, you have to find the way to learn what it is that they're doing at the center. Up your parent training, ask if you can come in and observe, ask them to show you what it is that they're doing and make it your business to learn that. I think what a lot of parents do is they switch to center and go, oh my gosh, now I have a break. And they're thrilled with the break as they should be, but then they miss out on what's happening. So don't miss out on what's happening um, learn what they know at the center. And the other thing is, um, uh, what I've seen is that a lot of centers, they're like, we do therapy at the center 
And so the child, there's no community outings, and some people get very rigid about that. Make sure that you're still getting community outings when it's appropriate. Your insurance will also pay for that, that your child needs to be other places doing what they're doing than just at the center. So that, those are my two things uh, for parents to keep in mind. Do you want to uh, comment on that, Dr. Grand Pichet? No, I totally agree with you. Well said. That's really important. Okay. Then moving on, Steve has, Stephen, excuse me, has written in, good evening from South Africa. When do you know it's time to stop ABA? My son is six and has been at it for three and a half years and has done so well that his main problem now is some pronunciation. He goes on to say, just want to say, this is going to make me cry. I know. I just saw that comment and it made me emotional too. Right. Just want to say that a couple of weeks after my son's diagnosis, I saw an old video of Dr. Grampichet talking about recovery so passionately. I think that that moment changed the course of my son's life. And Stephen, that's why we're all here, you know, for that in and of itself. So um, to help and be of support and help people to see, you know, other things. So, um, and thank, and I I would, I'm with you. I thank, you know, Dr. Grampiche changed the course of my son's life too. So, you know, sending you hugs and hearts. Uh, I get it. Um, okay. So, but he is six and has been at, uh, ABA for three and a half years. And now he's having some problems with pronunciation. Dr. Grampiche, when do you know it's time to stop ABA? I love that all of those and thank you for that comment, Stephen, that is very meaningful to me. Um, I I don't recommend stopping without having done some assessments. So my uh, usually when I treat children, I, at the end of therapy, I want to do some assessments um, and two things happen. Either the assessments tell me, yeah, we're done. Or the assessments point to areas that I wasn't aware of that I need to work on with the child. And that's the reason it's important is that if we think, for instance, that right now the only issue is pronunciation, um, we might be overlooking other things. And those other things will later impact his future development. And, And when a child is done, I want them to be done. Like I want them to move on and just you know, uh, live a mainstream integrated life and not have to have tutoring again in the future. So um, the assessments that I think are important, uh, I always conduct a Vineland, a Vineland adaptive behavior scale. I really love the Vineland. It's very easy. It's a questionnaire, but it really helps you kind of uh, identify like little areas that might be behind the norm in adaptive behavior. So all day-to-day behavior, and it's important. So that's good. It also has a communication subsection, which helps with with how well the individual is communicating. But in addition to the Vineland, I definitely want to do a, a language test. Language tests will vary based on the child's age. So, um, you know, typically you're looking at something like a told or a very advanced language test, which is higher than the age of six, I believe, is a self, C-E-L-F. Uh, you don't need to go very advanced, but you want to make sure that, no, I'm not talking about just speech. I'm talking about advanced language. 
So understanding language and being able to describe things correctly and relay information correctly and so on. So a good language test, you can go with any speech therapist would generally be able to advise on that or a developmental psychologist. And um, let's see, adaptive language. I think you would want to do a social skills test. Uh, there are several uh, the SSRS, there are a few social skills tests, any psychologist, again, speech paths as well should be able to advise on which one is appropriate for your child's age and different countries use different ones. So I want to do a social skills test. And then maybe you want to fill out a test called the brief. It's kind of a parent questionnaire. There's a teacher version as well. And that'll measure more advanced skills like executive functions. So, you know, if you go through and do those and you find that, or there's another really good test called the test of pragmatic language, topple. There's another really good test called the test of problem solving, tops. Those are quick questions, like they're faster tests to administer to the child. And if you do a whole kind of, I would usually do that. That was my kind of battery. I would do a TOPS, a TOPL, a language test, a social skills test, and then adaptive. And of course, I always liked to also administer an IQ test annually, just so that I could make sure the child is progressing in all the areas they're supposed to. Um, that's a huge battery of tests. And if you can find a psychologist who can do those tests for you, and you come back and you're like within uh, you know, one standard deviation of the norm. So about that's the normal range, then you really don't have anything to worry about. Otherwise, if you've come back with certain areas just being, you know, more than one standard deviation below the norm, then you want to start to focus on those areas before you stop ABA. And that has helped me hundreds of times with kids where the parents felt like things are finished, but really we still had some areas that we needed to work on. Um, in fact, I think a parent, Christina Adams, in her book um, about a boy, is that the name? I always a get the name wrong. A real boy. A real boy. Um, she actually talks about this because she came to me and said, uh, I think he's done. And then we did these tests and we came back and said, no, there's, a few more things to work on and we continued working for over a year and then we were done. And so I think that's really important for you to do as well. Amazing. Amazing. Um, I want to say, Parker, I'm glad to see that you're here because I wasn't sure I have your question and I'm going to ask it in just a second because Parker emailed his in ahead of time. But first, uh, I want to acknowledge, <clears throat> excuse me, autism journey with Elijah. I want to say, first of all, what an amazing individual that uh, Dr. Grampy Shea had the opportunity to be a guest on her live Facebook feed a couple of weeks ago, and it was amazing. I just want to say you asked the best questions. I, I you really felt, did. I mean, it was really kind of amazing, and uh, both of you were amazing, uh, both this parent and Dr. Grampy Shea. want to encourage people, if you get the opportunity to go find it on Facebook, I hope that there is a link to it because it was what do the young people say? Off the chain? I think that's really old. What's the <laughs> phrase that they say now? It was lit? I don't know. It was amazing. I was inspired by it. So, um, but they have written in a question. Um, 
But then they wrote in something else that I want to say because I think it, it involves this. How can you make potty training more consistent and effective when you have a home where both parents work long hours and the daycare or preschool is too busy to be consistent with one child at a time? But further <laughs> down, she wrote that the developmental pediatrician has sent a referral over for 40 hours of ABA and, and she says she's okay with that. And I think that's going to have some bearing on this, but what do you want to say, Dr. Grampichet? That's awesome. Yeah. If you're getting, if you start to get the 40 hours, which congratulations, I'm so excited for you, by the way, because this is going to be a fun, fun journey for you. Uh, the one thing I want to say off topic is videotape your child frequently. You're going to want to have these um, segments of video to, to kind of document your child's progress. It's fun to watch when a child gets intensive therapy and it's good therapy. I love it. So I hope that you can get those hours. And once you get those hours, there will always be people around who will help with the potty training. It is vital to be consistent with the potty training. It becomes very, very confusing very quickly if people are not consistent, and then it becomes really hard to do the potty training again, because now the child is like, well, what am I supposed to do here? So, you know, I think that's the best solution. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't remember. I don't think you're in California, but I don't, I'm sure many states have respite care and uh, also like social security services that can help with things like this. Um, they can give you an individual who is there to, to, you know, do things like take the child to the bathroom on a schedule or make sure that they're following the steps of the potty training that they're in right now. But of course, the best of all is to do ABA and, and it'll happen very quickly. Absolutely. I mean, amen to that. Uh, I want to jump to Parker's question. Parker, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, he wrote to me the other day and said, I was at the gym today, like I always am on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and the smell of chili was around the room. There was a chili cook-off happening. I got a sample of this really good chili. I was going to make myself a bowl, but some lady, which I had never met before, said the chili is only for city employees. I told her there was no sign on the door, and she said it's our first time, and the next time there will be a sign. And I almost went into a complete meltdown over it. But I knew I was in public, so I didn't. What can I do to, one, do even better than I did, um, how I did this time? And two, how can I avoid situations like this in the future? Thanks in advance, Parker. Parker, I just love your questions. I swear, you keep me on my toes with your questions because you're so deeply analytic. And I love that. I don't know anyone who does that. You know, I think what would be helpful for you, Parker, is to start writing down things because you are so incredibly analytic about your own situation. So what I would do is I would keep a, a journal if you don't already, Parker, and that journal will really, really help you figure things out. So for example, uh, in this case, if you were writing a journal, you would start with just the description, like you just told us right now, of, of exactly what happened. And then you would sit there for a bit and you would put yourself back in that situation. And you would say, um, I, 
how I felt. Start with how you felt. There are, if you look online, there are emotion wheels, which are really wonderful. If I could share that with everyone, they're amazing because, you know, we, most of us, we start with, let's say one emotion, like, let's say I felt annoyed, but then when you look at a really good emotion wheel, annoyed will be then itself broken down into five different things. For instance, I felt annoyed, but if I want to go further, I felt frustrated or I felt embarrassed or I felt left out or what was it that was causing me to feel annoyed? And then that feeling, the left out, let's say, goes even further. And you ask yourself, why did I feel left out? And has there been a different situation in my life that makes me feel left out? Is it just my diagnosis that makes me feel left out? Did I feel like, you know, just not being able to participate in getting the chili says that I'm different? What was the core issue there? Maybe it's none of the things I just said, Parker. Maybe it has just to do with the fact that, you know, you were hungry, And you became angry because you couldn't access a food that you really like. So use those types of journaling techniques. Start journaling things and keep talking to us because really I think journaling will help you really analyze these things. And honestly, Parker, you are someone who would benefit from just psychological therapy sessions. Like you would really benefit having a therapist that you could talk to weekly on Zoom and they would help you with what you've written down in the journal. And it would really help you understand yourself better. And when we understand ourselves better, we're always able to handle the situation differently the next time because we learn. We learn what is causing it and it doesn't bother us as much. And so I think that would be very helpful to you, Parker. And I want to say, Parker, thanks for asking this question because I want to now do what Dr. Grant Pichet said because, can I be honest, it would have ticked me off too. Like there's no sign you were supposed to magically know. And, and I think, I just want to say this, Parker, the fact that you didn't have a meltdown, uh, you're, you know, I mean, that's kind of amazing that, you know, you had feelings, but you didn't have a meltdown. You said to yourself, this is in public and you didn't have the meltdown. I think you're killing it. I think you're doing a really great job. And the fact that then you want to, you're like, how can I do this and how can I avoid this? We all feel fatutzed at some time in some place because of somebody doing something. It happens. But I'm going to use Dr. Grant Pichet's advice in my life. Um, But Parker, we we so enjoy you. Thank you for being here and asking that. We're all going to learn from that. I'm saying hi to Bertha. Bertha, that's always been one of my favorite names, can I just say? And to Miriam. Miriam says, hi, thank you for the videos. Does Dr. Grand Pichet do online ABA or consultations for people who don't have immediate access to ABA? And can you please provide emails? Thank you. What do you want to say about that? Yeah, absolutely, Miriam. I would love to do a consult for you. Um, I generally will do an evaluation, like probably no more than once a year for a child, and I'll give you uh, feedback and direction. But I also do have access to fantastic BCBAs who do this on an ongoing basis. So for instance, if you have a team of therapists 
and you need someone to oversee or supervise the team and give them guidance, I know people who I can refer you to you as well. So, but yes, Shannon, uh, please send Shannon an email and we will schedule a, a um, Zoom evaluation if you'd like. So my email for everyone is Shannon, S-H-A-N-N-O-N at autism. I know you guys all know how to spell that, hyphen live.com. It's that dash in the middle, live, L-I-V-E.com. So Shannon at autism hyphen live.com. And then I will uh, forward that to Dr. Grampiche and her team. Um, also saying hello to Amanda and her blue hearts and Michelle. Amanda had, uh, and by the way, um, yeah, Michelle. Um, by the way, Amanda had written in and said when we were talking about the low hours, she said, I spoke up at my last company. All Great. of the little kids only had three to uh, two to three hours maximum, which is unconscionable. That's my putting that in, not her. I even told the parents of my clients, ask for more hours. I gave them the research and I told them it wasn't enough. It, it probably made the company think twice about hiring an RBT that uh, was also an ASD parent, but I had to advocate for those kids. Good job. And, yes, amazing job. And I have to say, if there is a, if there is a company that doesn't want to hire an RBT that is advocating for more hours, I would say, Amanda, that's not going to work out for you because you are a person who's about helping people and doing what is ethically best. So you're not going to work out at that company if that's not what they're about. But my goodness, somebody should be all over themselves to want to have an RBT like you because you are amazing. Uh, Andrea wrote back in and said the only reason for wanting to switch her clinic was because of the drive. Uh, we drive one hour there and one hour home. And Andrea, yeah. I, I feel you on that because that's an hour that that's two hours a day that your child could be doing other things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and also, Andrea, evaluate, though, if you're going to change, like make sure that you have a clinic nearby that is going to provide you with high quality uh, therapists, BTs, who are and an enough hours and high quality supervision and that they also are uh, open to all the other interventions that you are doing. Uh, one of the things I very get quite upset about is some, to this day, we still hear ABA clinics that where BCBA doesn't know anything about functional medicine and uh, doesn't even want to hear uh, anything about the, the dietary restrictions a child might have uh, or any of the interventions that the family is doing on the health side. So make sure that you have ABA um, supervisors and, a, and if you're switching to a clinic, it's a clinic that understands that you have to treat the whole child and is willing to learn about all these other interventions. Wonderful. Um, I do want to say that Rosemary had written in when we were talking about center or at home and said, we do three days center and two days at home. And I love the home because I learn what to do at home. And that's, that's amazing. Great. Uh, wonderful. Uh, when you said about make sure that you videotape um, when you're starting ABA, Amanda said, yes, yes, yes. Video, video, video. It's lovely to look back now and see how far my son has come. I agree with that. I didn't videotape enough because some I, I like sometimes you're videotaping things that are hard for your child. I, 
I wish I had videotaped more. So amazing. Uh, Fortune says, hi, our insurance approved eight hours of ABA for our daughter, but I can't find any agency that can provide that. We started four hours last month with one agent that promised the full eight hours soon. Unfortunately, our RBT quit without notice to us or the agency. Now we are down to zero ABA. Uh, I think about, I'm thinking about working with two different agencies to get the full, and she put 49 hours a week. So I don't know if they were saying eight hours a day. Um, but uh, what are your thoughts about trying to piece it together with two different agencies, Dr. Grampiche? Yeah, I mean, there are a few difficulties when you're working with two different agencies, uh, you know, just scheduling being one of them, but also technique and it's hard to explain this because ABA has a lot of different um, factors that are important and two supervisors, two BCBAs might have completely different styles. Not to mention that two different agencies might be using two completely different curricula. So it is really important that there be consistency in the overall program. I don't really recommend two agencies. It is a lot of work trying to get them consistent with each other. But on the other hand, I really want your child to have more hours. So one way to do it, if you were to go, it, first of all, most agencies don't agree to you having another agency. But if you find two agencies that are willing to work with each other, then I highly recommend that you separate the actual complete curriculum areas. So in other words, you would have one agency working on, let's say, language and social skills, the other agency, for instance, working on adaptive and challenging, I don't know, like split the the issues um, so that they're not stepping on each other. That becomes its own problem. It's so hard, um, but I, I appreciate the ingenuity of that. Gemma has written in and said, hello, I find that fidget aids with me to help, self, uh, help to stop meltdowns or like Dr. Grampichet said, writing in my journal. And thank you, Gemma. I love all the support that you guys have written in for Parker and the suggestions and the, the good jobs. Absolutely amazing. Uh, Brian has written in and said, good morning, Shannon and friends and their whole family with their six-year-old are extending hugs to all of us. Uh, Brian says, uh, to all, things can get better, but you must also learn to accept that those that simply will not but can improve. Um, I'm not good at accepting that, Brian. If, so, if, it's, if, if it's that somebody can improve but doesn't want to, I guess I want to know why they don't want to. But that's not my strong suit. Um, but Brian goes on to say, Doctor, any thoughts on post-ABA? When a child becomes basically graduated and needs help with things that ABA cannot address, which is a great question. And, and Reza has asked if we can uh, turn up the volume on Dr. Grampichet. I don't know if anybody else is having an issue, but it might, it, I, can somebody else say if they're having an issue so that we know? Because Reza, it might be your computer. I just don't know. I, and I'm happy to increase my volume, but right before the show, our producer asked me to reduce our volume. So, okay. So others can hear. That's I'm glad because I hate it when we have technical issues that are not allowing you guys to hear us. Um, so going to the issue of 
you know, what are, what are post ABA things? And I guess, um, yeah, I think it, it doesn't matter what the issues are as long as you think about how to get help. So for example, um, I have some uh, of our graduates who will have, they still have problems on the social realm. Um, and so for them, it becomes vital, depending on your age again, uh, to have like a social skills program or group. And that could be at any age. And as long as parents are able to help accommodate that, you know, just having a social activity with peers is is very helpful. And of course, there are people who can moderate and help that as long as well. Then there are individuals who might leave an ABA program and still have, like, let's say, anxiety associated with uh, different situations in life. And I really recommend that they gain uh, therapy services. So see a psychologist, probably a cognitive behavioral psychologist, because cognitive behavioral therapy is very similar to the end of ABA and so that's a very good continuation so that you can gain help with those types of issues. Whatever the issues are, it just like like anyone else. I think, you know, I look at ABA as, as intensive tutoring. That's how I look at it. And if any child, let's say typically developing child, has issues with one thing or another, uh, you know, could be anything. It doesn't matter, math or, you know, play skills or a sport or a hobby, whatever. We get tutoring for our kids. And when they're done, it doesn't mean that they are done with every other issue in life. They might have other needs that come about later in life. And, uh, you know, for example, a lot of our kids, when they finish years later, they come back and get vocational training for a particular job or they gain access to, you know, how do I send in a resume? How do I actually apply for a job? Things that we wouldn't normally be teaching a child at the age of 10, let's say. So, um, yeah, you, you, you continue to find the resources and, and you keep going with those things. Wonderful. And I'm just going to say, my, so my son graduated from his ABA program at, at eight and every child is different. But the best piece of advice that I got for that next couple of years was a mom whose child had also graduated. And she said, your job right now as a parent is to keep dipping him into the friend realm because you you want him to have as big of a group of core friends who accept him uh, as you possibly can to get through junior high and high school. And you gotta start as early as you possibly can. And her advice was to become the house that everybody wanted to get an invitation to. That we all like know that house from when we were growing up, the mom who will allow you to have the popcorn fight in the living room, the mom, you know, who looks the other way if somebody says a, a swear word, the mom who orders milkshakes to be delivered. She was like, you make that your house. You want people to come over. And she said, and accept that some friends aren't going to stick because not everybody is going to stick in anybody's life. But she was like, make your house the fun place and start inviting one kid at a time. She told me to look around the neighborhood and to find either the kid who was an only child whose mother was desperate for time to go to the beauty parlor or to go shopping or to find the kid who was the middle kid of a whole bunch of kids 
uh, and that the mom isn't going to notice if the kid is gone all the time and make your house the most reinforcing place for that for the and I found both of those kids and we would do all kinds of things with those two kids and I always think back to what amazing teachers that those both of those young men were to my son because they would be they would just like brothers would be they would go dude why are you doing that like do this instead and they taught him taught him taught him and got him set up for friends so um, I, I just loved that advice and I took it really to heart and made our house the fun place um, but Brian says distraction and focus on task problems are very real impairments uh, despite abilities and holds their son back we have to tackle that but we're trying to deal with that so but that sounds a little to me like maybe they're not done with ABA what do you think Dr. Grampichet? Well, I mean, they, okay, so it depends on the organization that's providing the ABA because a lot of organizations don't really know how to attack these problems. Um, and I feel like we used to spend a lot of time on, on distractibility and focus because we were doing a lot of work in the executive function area. Um, and if you have providers who know how to tackle executive functions, they're going to focus on these things. And if you don't, then you're right. What's the point of being there? Um, one way that you work on distraction and focus is simply by providing ongo gradually increasing distraction to your child. So you can do this yourself at home where you start with a very easy uh let's say homework or a worksheet or something that the child is focused on. And then you gr gradually add distraction to the background, whether it's noise or people or the TV or radio or whatever it might be, but you add distraction and you do it in a way that it's very gradual and the child learns to remain focused. Now that's just one tactic. There's lots of different tools for teaching a child to stay focused. It's a whole area of our instruction that was called attention. And there's lots of different attention issues. And then there's also inhibition, which is the ability to like uh, block out things that are distracting. So this is the area of, of executive functions. Now, the other quick thing, because I know we're out of time, is that you know sometimes our kids lose the diagnosis of autism but they maintain some aspects of adhd and remember with AD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder you do not have to have hyperactivity you know there's a whole type of adhd that just is distractibility and so you might be looking at talking to specialists for adhd um, and also maybe even uh, considering medications for ADHD, which will help as well. There we go. I'm so sorry that we are out of time and we got a couple of questions there at the end that I would love to answer. I want to invite you to please, please, please join us next week and ask your questions at the top because uh, I always hate it when we leave a question unanswered. Um, but I want to thank you, Dr. Grampichet, for all that you do. My goodness, you are so amazing. And I want to thank all everybody who's been on here with us um, today and every day, adding to the conversation, because sometimes the question you ask becomes the whole new realm that somebody else goes, I never thought of that before. So uh, absolutely amazing. We are um, going to be leaving you now, and then we're back 
tomorrow. And tomorrow we've got a bunch of parent-to-parent -parent tips for you to how to not only survive but also thrive during the school break because a lot of you are on break this week or next week or the week after and how we keep things going. So we've got some advice for you tomorrow. Then we have Let's Talk All the Things with Rachel that's going to be happening on Friday and Stories from the Spectrum on Thursday. Um, but we're getting very close to the podcast-a-thon. I want to encourage everybody to go to autismnetwork.com, click on any of the links or pictures that are podcast-a-thon, and then click on the one that's the calendar. We're, we're updating it daily and adding podcasts and information about it daily. So, you know, I, I hear people are mapping their strategy. Okay, so this is what I'm going to watch. Please know that it will all podcast eventually, that you'll get to watch it, but there's nothing like watching it live. And we even, uh, for Stephen, we even have somebody who's going to be live from South Africa. Uh, Ilana Gershlovitz is doing her podcast for us, Autism, Now What?, uh, that you'll see on the in the in the wee hours here, but in the middle of the day for you uh, on that very first day. So we're uh, we're so excited about this. Please share and tell other people about it. Spread the word because it's going to be uh, absolutely amazing. Dr. Grampy Shea, thank you for all that you do and all that you are. Oh, such a pleasure, Shannon. So nice to see you, and thank you, everyone. All right, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. Until then. Give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.